0: Welcome again, everyone. It's uh, good to have you this weekend. Welcome, everybody. Watching online, good for you guys. Thanks for joining us as well. And uh, we are on a series right now called Assume I Know Nothing. And uh, this is the premise of the series. If we pretended that you just walked out of the woods and you had absolutely no information about the Bible, no exposure to a Christianized culture, right? North America is a Christianized culture, uh, no exposure to the Christian subculture, and you wanted to learn about God and how to have a connection with God, how to know and follow Jesus Christ where would we start and what conversation would we have? And so that's the premise of, of this uh, these conversations, just kind of going back to the, the very beginning, the very basics, doing it in a linear order so that you can kind of wrap your mind around it and walking you through those conversations. And we said this, we said, if, you, if this is your big year, if you look and say, 2017, I'm finally going to get my head wrapped around the Bible. I'm finally going to dive into to knowing Christ in, in a deep and meaningful way. I'm tired of messing around with it. Uh, and I want to investigate that stuff, figure it out. We said, if you will give us the semester... Uh, if you will hang out here from now until, say, Mother's Day, uh, what we'll do is we'll work really hard to kind of put all those cards on the table so that at least the big story of the Bible makes sense to you, and you can kind of get your head around it a little, little bit. And then, of course, what you do with it is what you do with it, right? That's, that's your business, but at least you'll have that information around. So if you'll lock in for a semester here at Grace... Uh, you can take that journey. So we'll start with this this conversation. Assume I know nothing. We'll shift to the next ones called five assumptions about God and why they're wrong, and then we'll go to a, a third one that we'll have around Easter time, and that will kind of fill in all of those blanks for you as, uh, as you go forward, okay? So, uh, that I think it's going to be life transforming for you if you'll do that. For some of you, you, you kind of, you may be in on God already, but you don't really know why you believe what you believe, you just know what to believe, you've been raised that way, kind of told those things, and so well, this conversation will kind of answer those questions for you too, uh, kind of starting at the beginning and moving through it. So, we started with the Bible, okay? So, we started with the Bible, had a conversation about the Bible, what it is, where it came came from and how we're supposed to kind of interact with it. And I, uh, I showed you all this empirical evidence about the Bible. The Bible's unique in that way. There's archaeology, there's extra biblical history, there's even science. Like, there's liter- liter- literary tests, all those kind of things that passes with flying colors. But if you said to me, you know, Jeff, you, c- you can prove all those kind of things because we can. It's right there in the documentation. But if you said to me that that, even though all that stuff is true, it's still the Word of God, like it was given by God, inspired by God, protected by God, and should be received that way, isn't that a step of faith? I would look at you in all honesty and say, yep, That's true. Uh, You still, by faith, have to believe that the Bible is the words of God and receive it that way. So, it absolutely is a step of faith to to do that. So, we had that whole conversation. Uh, Then we had the next weekend, last week, we had a conversation about the origins of man and good and evil. And we went into the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 2, 3, and we said, this is where we came from. We're created beings in the image of God. Uh, This is where good and evil originated from. And uh, man had a choice. He chose to rebel against God, mankind did. And when humanity did that, what happened was sin was introduced into the human equation. And so now we know that we have what we call a sin nature, that I am naturally a sinner and I naturally rebel against God. If you ever wanna test that in your life, it's kinda of easy to test. Uh, nobody ever taught you to tell a lie. Nobody ever taught you to steal. Nobody ever taught you to be selfish. Nobody ever taught you to thought, think you know, dirty thoughts. That just all happens by itself, why? Because it's the, it's the nature of humanity. And the Bible says that that sin is then what separates us from God. So we kind of concluded our conversation last weekend by talking about the fall, where we fell away from the perfect relationship with God we were intended to have because of sin. Okay? So all that's out online. Uh, go to our website, graceohio.org. You can watch that or listen to it there. Uh, you can watch it on the app. If you want, it's bouncing around uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, stuff like that. You can get a podcast for free through iTunes if you want. Or for an outrageous amount of money, I will come to your family room and re-preach that sermon, <laughs> charge you, and take an offering. But I'm just saying it's an option if you want it out there, okay? Uh, but, but watch that stuff, especially if you're trying to get your head around it. If you can watch that, it'll, it'll become linear, right? And it'll make, help each conversation to make more sense. So this weekend, it, it, we want to move forward kind of in the timeline, and I want to have a conversation with you about God's response to the fall, Okay, so we, we fell into sin. We're now defined and driven by sin in a lot of ways. What did God do about that? What was his response to that? And then we would ask a second question, and what does he want our response to him to be? Okay, and so we're going to kind of look at that a little bit. And I want to, I want to take you to this person, introduce you to this guy named Abraham, Because in God's relationship with Abraham and how he interacts with Abraham, there's like an illustration and a paradigm that even today we would look back to and and look and say, oh, that's what God is doing and this is what God wants from us in return. And so Abraham is this really foundational kind of relationship in the Bible that helps us to understand our, our interaction with God, okay? So we first find Abraham in Genesis chapter. 11. So if you've got your Bibles, grab them. Go to the, uh, the, the second half of Genesis chapter 11, and you're going to meet Abraham in the beginning of Abraham's story his name is Abram. So, Abram is the same person as Abraham. God changes his name later on. For our conversation this weekend, I'm just going to keep calling him Abraham because I don't keep it all straight. I'm not that smart, really. I only had to learn one book my whole life, so it was pretty easy for me. So, when you see Abram in the Bible, it's still Abraham, okay? And then later on, you'll see him called Abraham, and he shows up in Genesis chapter 11. Now, Before we dig into this conversation, I need to frame something up for us uh, a little bit, okay? So we're gonna read a lot about God blessing Abraham and God wanting to do things with and through Abraham. And it's a good time to talk about kind of how to read those things in the Bible. So in the Bible, when God talks about blessing someone, he talks about generally three groups of people, okay? Sometimes God talks about blessing a person. So we're gonna find that this weekend like God is blessing the person, Abraham. Sometimes God blesses a nation. And in the Bible, it's the nation of Israel or the Jewish people. God says that Israel is the chosen people of God. So there's certain blessings, especially in the Old Testament, where God says to, uh, makes a promise to the nation of Israel, that, the, and they only apply to them. And then a third way that God blesses people or, or makes promises to people is to a people that we call the church. So the church is something that God implemented, okay? And especially in the New Testament, what you'll see is God is saying to the church and to followers of Christ, I wanna bless you, or these are certain promises that apply to you, okay? Now. Sometimes when God blesses a person, we can take lessons from that, like principles from it, but that blessing that, to Abraham doesn't apply to you, doesn't apply to me. Sometimes when God blesses Israel, we'll take lessons from it, we'll see what God's like, but God blessing Israel is not, does not mean that he blesses the United States that way or that he blesses you that way okay? And, and, and et cetera. So it's just a little filter that we have to put things through or we misinterpret. Uh, we'll read something and be like, oh, God's going to make a great nation out of me too. No, he's not. Not at all. That was a blessing to a person. Or God said, if you do this, this, and this, he'll give you great wealth and power. And now he was talking to the nation of Israel, not to you. There's no Lamborghini in your future, right? So, so it's just a important little filter, especially as we talk about things in, in the Old Testament, okay? So, there it is. Where we're at in the Bible is this. Between Genesis chapter 3, where we ended last weekend in the fall, and Genesis chapter 11, several generations have passed, all right? It's actually a pretty big time leap that we're making here. And in that time, between t- Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 11, a bunch of stuff has happened. In fact, a couple of really famous stories in the Bible have happened. So, for instance, Noah's Ark has happened in there. So Noah building the ark and the animals and the flood that that has happened between Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter eleven. Uh, another big big one is the Tower of Babel has happened in there. Okay, and that's in between those two things. So so several generations have passed. Uh, humanity has now in, in this time frame is really kind of uh, being really hit by the results of the fall. So sin is really reigning and is very predominant. And it's not that God is off the scene. God is very much on the scene. But God at this time is interacting with a few individuals, a, a family or two. But but really what you read about over those generations is just the, the ravages of sin on humanity. God's around. He's blessing. He's rescuing. He's helping. He's also holding humanity accountable for the rebellion. That's all part of it. But that's really what kind of makes up that those those uh, generations when god gets to abraham then The paradigm evolves. God is not different. He just, he he kind of evolves and shows us that he's gonna work with humanity in a a, a different and clearer way. And Abraham, that's why he becomes this foundational person because we would look at how God interacts with Abraham and we could look and say, oh, even today, God wants to interact with me a bit that way today as well. Okay, So a little bit of of the, the, of Abraham. Abraham is this really pivotal person in history, very pivotal person. He is the father of the Jewish nation or the father of Israel. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob all wound up being the nation of Israel or the Jewish nation, okay? So Jews, even today, the uh, uh, people who are Jews would look back and say, Abraham's a big, big deal to us, okay? For Christians... Christians look back because Christianity flows through Judaism. Jesus was a Jew. He was a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher. So, Christians, we understand our roots in Judaism as as well. We just believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. So, we believe that he completed the law and kind of evolved it, right? But we would look back at Abraham and we would think of him as a patriarch. We would say one of the founders of our faith is Abraham and his relationship with God. In fact, a lot of commentaries will say Abraham is the father of faith. As God interacted with Abraham and Abraham interacted with God, he's kind of the first super clear example of how God would want us to interact with him as well. Uh, Abraham was born wealthy and in, in a very secure situation. And so that was Abraham's background. He was the oldest son of a relatively wealthy family, which is a big, big deal in the ancient world because in the ancient world, the oldest son got everything. If you were the second son or the third son, you were out. When your dad died, your, your brother took over and you kind of were at his good graces. Aren't you glad it doesn't work that way anymore? Right, so that's the way it works. If you were a daughter, you didn't even matter in the ancient world. it's all about the son. So Abraham was in that privileged position of being the oldest son and he was set to inherit all the wealth and security that his father had. He was gonna have his, his, all his, his daddy's money and his mom's good looks and he had to know the song. Anyway, so right, so that, that's, where, that's where he was. He married a woman named Sarah. Okay, so Sarah and Abraham were married kind of their whole adult life Sarah struggled with infertility so that she was not able to to get pregnant. And that becomes a big deal. You'll see her in a minute because God promises to, to bless them by building a nation out of their family line. So if you can't have kids, that's a problem. And so what God did finally was he intervened with a miracle. So when Sarah was 80, she got pregnant. Right? Can you imagine that? Don't think about it. Just imagine what that would be like. Okay, and imagine having a newborn at 80 years old. And Abraham was no help because he was a hundred. So that was great, right? You hear the baby? No, right? So I mean, that was that's kind of the way it were, right? So so here they are, super old folks, but they have this baby, and their son Isaac was born. And so when you hear the Bible, when you read it, you'll hear them say uh, that that it's the Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's the lineage. That'd be Abraham's son and his grandson, Jacob, okay? And Isaac comes as a miracle because God intervened in Abraham and Sarah's life. When you read the the story of Abraham, uh, Abraham did not follow God perfectly. He was a mess in a lot of ways, Uh, very, very human. Uh, he was insecure about certain things. He was fearful. Uh, he could be deceptive. He didn't always trust God. Uh, he was impatient. That's all a part of Abraham's story. But when God looked back on Abraham's life and saw his life in summary, he looked and said, Abraham was a man of faith. And his, this is the, uh, I'm quoting the Bible. And his faith was credited to him as unto righteousness. God was pleased with the faith of Abraham, okay? So as we get into the story here, there's two things I want you to remember, two ideas that are really, really important in this story. One one idea is this. I want you to remember the word and the idea of restoration, so what is God doing? He is bringing about restoration. He's restoring humanity to himself. He's making a way for us to return to the relationship with God that we were created to be in. That's, that's a massive theme in this story. And then forward, he kind of sets it in place here, okay? The other big word and idea I want you to lock onto is the idea of faith, faith. What does God want from humanity? He wants our faith. He wants humanity to respond to God through faith. And you'll see that's a theme in this story, and then it continues on through the the rest of the Bible, okay? So lock those two ideas in, restoration and faith. Okay, let's meet uh, Abraham here then in Genesis chapter 12, and let's start to look at God's interaction with Abraham and uh, Abraham's interaction with God. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says this, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now let's pause here, okay? The Lord says to Abram, I want you to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Very, very important baseline in our relationship with God. God looks at Abraham. This is where we would look and say, this applies to us even today. He looks at Abraham and he says, I want to restore this relationship with you. I want you to interact with me, but you must leave everything you've known and come and follow me. I want you to go from your country, your culture, your background, your your people I want you to go from even your family, your friends, your influences, and your father's household. I want you to go from your money, your wealth, your position. I want you to lead everything to a land that I will show you. I want you to leave all that you know, follow me, and let me define and direct your life. Now, I want want to pause here because it's a big, big deal. This idea... Is huge when it comes to understanding God and following Christ and just the construct of Christianity. That when a Christian, when a Christ follower looks and says, God wants me to follow him, we would look at that, and a healthy Christ follower would look at that and say, I am, when I follow God, I follow God with abandon. I go all in 100%. I leave what is behind and I look forward to what is ahead. I'm walking away from my old life, my old identity, even my own opinions, my old religious systems, all of it. I walk away from all of it and I go 100% all in with Christ completely. This is important. Grab this. You should get a tattoo of this one. This is huge. Ready? Here it is. Christianity is not a add-on idea. It is a instead-of idea. Being a Christ follower is not a add-on idea. It is a instead-of idea. Following Jesus is not about improving our lives. That's not the idea at all. And you see this in Abraham, his interaction with God. It's, It's not me balancing my life out. It's not Jesus and my opinions, Jesus and my point of view, Jesus and other belief systems. I don't add Jesus to everything else that I'm doing in my life so that I'm healthy and happy. Following Jesus is a instead of idea. I go from, I leave my people my country, my place, my security, and I go all in in my relationship with Christ. That is a very, very important concept when it comes to following Christ. That I don't do this and these other things instead of everything else. I follow God, I follow Christ, okay? So Abraham and God, they kind of set this precedent And that's the first thing God says, I want you to go from, and I'll show you a place. I'm not even gonna describe it to you right now. I'll show you a place. Now, why? What does God want to accomplish? Is he just this vindictive, controlling, you know, authoritarian God? What's he wanna do? Well, he wants to bring about restoration. So in verses two and three, God says this in general is why I want you to do this, Abraham. Uh, Verse two, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So God makes this promise of blessing to Abraham, right? He doesn't make that promise to you. He makes that promise to Abraham. But in that promise, we can see the heart of God. Why does God want us to go from... Well, not to make us miserable, not because he, I'm God, Not you do what I say. It's not his, he's looking and saying, I, I want to restore you to this great relationship you were created to have. I want to bless you. I want to use you. I want to work in you. I want to work through you. I'm not. I don't want to give you everything you want. There's no Lamborghini. That's the TV nonsense. But the desires of your heart. The, the the long-term impact of your life, all the meaningful stuff, I want to give that to you. You have to walk away. It's not an add-on. It's an instead of. Walk away. Abraham, go from, and I want, because I want to give you these wonderful, wonderful things that you were intended to have in the garden, but were taken away because of sin. Now, Abraham sets an example then Of how you and I would respond to God. So, what does Abraham do? Verse four. So, Abraham went as the Lord told him. He went as the Lord told him. This is huge. Go from. Why? Well, I want to give you all these wonderful things, right? The land I will show. I'm not giving you the details. I'm just sharing my heart with you, right? And Abraham went. Now, again, this is massive. Dial this in, okay? This is big, big stuff, what I'm about to say. Here it is. For a Christ follower, if you're thinking about being a Christ follower wondering what it's like, here's what it's like, or what it should be like. For a Christ follower, in our relationship with God, the answer… Is already yes, even before the question is asked. Okay, for a Christ follower in our relationship with God, the answer is already the answer is always yes, even before I know the question. Abraham, leave everything, go to land. I'm going to show you. I love you. Here's my heart. I want to bless you, Abraham. Okay, yes. Doesn't know where. Doesn't know how. Doesn't know when. I'm going to build a great nation for, for him. Um, you, um, we have, we struggle with infertility. Okay. The answer for a Christian is yes. Now, yes. Yes. As I learn the Bible, when I go and approach the Bible, the answer is yes. And then I might discover what the Bible says, but my, I, you are my God. I went from, I'm all in. The answer is yes. Okay? Uh, I, the answer is yes. This, by the way, this is why Christians do weird things. Not, not certain… Christians are just weird. Let's just be honest about it. But certain weird things that they do. This is why Christians will do weird things like leave a middle class, even upper middle class lifestyle, and, and move to the middle of Africa and live in poverty. That's why we do that stuff. Because the answer is Yes. And so if we felt like the Lord called us, and that's a big conversation, we can talk about that some other time, but if we felt like the Lord called us, the answer is yes, he just filled in the blank. This is why Christians do things like uh, we're a part of our church and our kids are all connected and we're really, really happy here. You know what? We'll uproot and go start the Ellic campus. That's a dumb decision. Why would you do that? Because the answer is Yes. And and people would believe oh the Lord's calling us He wants us to make the gospel clear and accessible I I'm I'm there This is why Christians will give their money away to people All Right Why are you doing that Because the answer is yes it's God's the answer is yes Just and God laid something on my heart Our vision was set So that's why Christians do weird things because there's a there's a predetermined yes always And then as God fills in the blanks I'm just following God That's what Abraham he he set that paradigm for us. I'm walking away from everything that I've ever known. I'm going all in for God. I trust that God is gonna bless me, use me, restore this relationship, whatever he's gonna wanna do. And I go, answer's yes. I guess I'll find out what that land is like when I get there, okay? Now, this is huge. And this is a a big, big cornerstone of what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus Christ. God is restoring we're always trusting that and what God wants from us is faith trust and what he's doing and how he's doing it God makes a set of like promises and agreements the Bible calls them covenants and then uh, Genesis chapter 17 verse 9. God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for generations to come. God says, keep my covenant. I made a covenant to you. You keep my covenant. What does that mean? It means have faith in me. Trust me. Walk with me with abandon. As long as you walk with me in faith and walk with me in abandon, I am happy You don't have to, I know you're not going to walk with me perfectly. I know you're a human being. I know you have a sin nature. But make the answer yes and follow me. And that's how you respond to my effort to restore you. You respond to God and Christ by faith. Now, let's talk about faith for a minute. What is faith? Okay? Because it's what God wants from us. What is faith? Remember the two words: restoration, faith. What's faith? Well, thankfully, the Bible defines it for us. Okay, so Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. This is the definition of faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Okay, faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance and what we do not see. Faith is me having confidence in what I hope for. What do I hope for? I hope that God is who he says he is. I hope that God is God. I hope that God loves me. I hope, I, I hope that God has my best interests in mind. I hope that God would never bring harm to me. He wants to bring good to me. I hope that the promises are God is true. I'm placing my confidence In that, I'm banking on that. I'm hitching my wagon to that. That God is who He says He is, is what I hope for. It's confidence, what we hope for, and assurance of what we do not see. I'm hitching my wagon to God because I am sure, because He loves me and because He wants to bless me, I am sure that when we show up to that land, it's going to be the things I really long for and desire. I am sure that God's not going to take me and land me in the wilderness or someplace horrible, Michigan, whatever. Like, I, I'm sure that that's not going so I'm, I'm, I have an assurance in what I do not see. I have a confidence in who God is and what He's like. Now, this is a big deal, okay? In the Bible, faith is not a belief system. We use that word a lot, tell, tell people about your faith. What we mean by that is tell them your belief system, okay? That, that's not the, the clean biblical definition of faith. In the Bible, faith is not a religion. So we'll use that word, that, and it's not wrong, it's just how we use it. So we'll say, what faith are you? Are you Catholic, are you Protestant, are you Muslim, or you, you know, what, what's your faith? So in the Bible, faith is not a, a religion. In the Bible, faith is not blind and it's not simple. So the, the, the biblical concept of faith is not, uh, I don't know, I've never read the Bible, but I'll just, you know, whatever Jeff says. That's not the biblical concept of faith, okay? Faith is informed. Faith is cognitive. Faith is intelligent. But faith is still a decision. I'm deciding to put my confidence in God. I'm deciding to have assurance of what I, I cannot see. Faith is choosing to believe, and what I know I cannot and will never fully understand. Not because I'm lazy, not because I'm dumb or simpleton, but because I've made a decision to place my faith in who God is, All right? Now, this is a big concept. So I wanted to try to give you an example of, of, of this in earthly relationships. So I'll tell you a little, a time of when Heidi and I placed our faith in a person, okay? And, th- and this played out, okay? So, um, uh, the Bath campus here that we're sitting in it is uh, 17 years old. Before Heidi and I came to the Bath campus, we were youth pa- uh, the, the youth pastor at our Norton campus, which is the mother of all campuses, all right? So down in the Norton campus. And we were a youth pastor down there for seven years. And my friend, mentor, uh, and senior pastor at the time was Pastor Bob, Bob Combs, who was a pastor at Norton Church. Pastor Bob is like a second father to me. I just love him and respect him very, very deeply. And so we had a very, very close relationship. I was his youth pastor. The average tenure of a youth pastor is nine months so we were there for seven years by the way our youth pastors hardest job in the church bar none is the youth pastor so you see one of our youth pastors you should hug them and give them money. They're poor. Hug them. In fact, don't worry about the hug. Just give them money. Because they need money. Okay? So it's a very, very hard job. That's why people don't last in it long. When you have your own children, it gets exponentially harder to be a youth pastor. Okay? So we were there for about seven uh, seven years. Had our own kids. Uh, Heidi and I both felt it was kind of time to wrap up that phase of our life. So I went to Pastor Bob, like a father to me. I said, hey, Bobby, I think it's time for me to hang the spikes up. He's like, hey, love you, respect you, appreciate you, thanks for your service. He said, I have an opportunity up in Bath to maybe start a campus, are you interested? I said, absolutely not, don't like Bath, don't like people, don't want to do any of that kind of stuff. And so, no, right? So Heidi and I weren't sure what to do with our lives, so we went to seek wisdom, and we went and, and, uh, and started to uh, talk to mentors, okay? What you don't know is probably, is that Heidi and I were about 24 hours away from leaving Grace Church about 18 years ago. We're on the verge of leaving. That that was kind of our plan, actually. And we were, we were trying to make this big, big decision. We went and see seek these, uh, these mentors. Every time we went and talked to a mentor, they'd offer me a job. So it didn't help at all, right? Back then... I was like the young, sharp, golden child that everybody wanted to have on their team. Now, I never get job offers. You know, People are like, what about Bogue? They're like, he's not holding up well. So I'm like done, like you guys are totally stuck with me, right? So I have no future except here, right? So, but back then, everybody kept offering us a job. So we said, hey, let's go to Indiana. We have a mentor out there. Let's go talk to him, see if we can get some wisdom. We drove to Indiana where we went to college. Talked to a mentor. He offered us a job didn't, that didn't help at all, right? And Heidi and I, on our way out of town, said, You know what? Let's go to our Alma mater, to Grace College, and let's see the campus, see what they did. They said that. So we're driving around the campus of, of Grace College. We bumped into another mentor named Roger Pugh. Uh, We were in the parking lot. I'll never forget this, as long as I live. We're in the car. Roger kind of knelt down beside the car. Hey, how you doing, blah, blah, small talk. And we started to talk about our future. We never got out of the car. This is a 15 or 20 minute life-changing conversation. Told Roger what was going on. He said, listen, he goes, guys, this is what you have to do. He said, you gotta figure out what makes you pound the table you're so passionate about so frustrated, so dissatisfied with something, what makes you pound the table? He said, secondly, you gotta figure out what keeps you up at night. What are you so passionate about that, that you daydream about it, like you, you stay up at night? And then the third thing he said, this was a big, big thing for me. He said, you gotta figure out uh, what relationships you're in. What, who are you tied to? And he said, often those three things help you to know w- where to go in your walk with God. Uh, We said goodbye to Roger, we left, we're getting on the highway. Heidi said, what do you think? I said, I know exactly what we're supposed to do. And she said, what? I said, we're supposed to go start the Bath Campus. And she said, I told you that a month ago, (laughs) all right? And so I said, I'm totally confident we're supposed to go start the Bath Campus. She said, what gives you that confidence? Ready, this is big. I said to her, "I," (laughs) I said to her, I cannot, envision a scenario in which I look Pastor Bob in the eyes and tell him I'm leaving him. can't do it. I can't imagine telling him I'm not going to be by his side. Okay. We came back, told Pastor Bob, I'll go take those pain in the neck people up at Bath and see what I can do with them. Right Here we sit today. Now, this is what I did. I want you to see this is an example, okay? We, this is an earthly example, we placed our faith in Pastor Bob. We were confident in what we hoped for. We hoped, we believed that Pastor Bob loved us. We believed that he had wisdom in our life. We believed that he, he had our good in mind, not any plans to destroy us. We believed that he would never leave us or forsake us if we stepped out. We hitched our wagon to Pastor Bob. We placed our faith in him. And we had assurance of what was unseen. We did not know, n- we knew nothing about starting a church, Zero right? So we didn't know what the future held. We only knew with confidence that Pastor Bob would be in that future with us. We knew that he wasn't going to shove us out the door and cut us off. So we put our confidence in Pastor Bob. That gave us assurance of a road that you can't, who knows the future? Nobody does, right? So assurance of things that are unseen. And all we knew was that that, that relationship was going to go with us no matter where we went or what we, we did. And then we stepped out on faith, right? Go from, we had to leave everything we were doing, right? I, I want to I bless you in these ways, but you have to say yes. And we walked on faith. Now, every one of you who's married or in a, in a relationship that you think is going to lead to marriage, this is the same decision you're, you're making, right? When Heidi and I got married, Heidi placed her faith in me. We got married, right? All these years later, no, impossible to know what the future is. All we know is that she and I will be in that future together. End of story. It's assurance of what we hope for right? I have great confidence in that relationship. I think Heidi has a lot of regret, probably. I would imagine. I would if I was her. But but it's that you lock into it. If you are pursuing a career, you have made a faith decision. I'm going to go with this company. If you have locked into a school that you're going to go to, you've made a faith decision. I'm going to, I'm going to hitch my wagon and try to get my education from this school. That That is what faith is and how it plays out. What Abraham did, and the example he set for all of us spiritually, is that we place our faith in God, and today we would say in Jesus Christ. I hitch my wagon to Christ. I have no idea what the future holds. I I have assurance that Christ will be in that future with me. No, I don't know what the circumstances are going to be. I don't I, I don't know what, how much money I'm going to make, what my health is going to be. God doesn't promise any of those things. If somebody tells you that he does, they're lying. But he says, I will be with you. Abraham, go from, I want to bless you. I define what a blessing is, right? And he did for Abraham. I want to bless you And for the Christ follower, the answer is already yes, and Abraham did that, and he went. And God looks and says, that's what I want from my people. Hebrews chapter 11, thousands of years later now, God is still talking about Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, by faith. When called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Confidence, assurance. First time by faith, he made his home in the promised land, with a, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac, his son, Jacob, his grandson, whose heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, even Sarah, his wife, who was past childbearing age, was, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, considered God faithful, who made the promise. She placed her faith in what she could not see or understand, but she believed it. Verse 12, and so from this one man who was as good as dead, he's 100 years old, he's as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashores. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God as he prepared a place for them. the, The scriptures, says they didn't even they didn't even see it all play out in their lifetime. Abraham had a kid. He didn't see all of his descendants born. He placed his confidence in God and was assured that all those descendants would be born. Right? They didn't, they didn't see everything happen in their little slice of time and piece of dirt on the planet, but they placed their faith that God would do all that he said that he would do. Now, guys, catch this. This is massive. If you are thinking about being a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you are one, or you're just trying to get your head around the whole thing, okay? We interact with God by faith. It is not an add-on. It's an instead of. The answer is already yes. Yes. And and we walk by faith. We are saved by grace through faith. We follow. God. We are making a choice. This is what a Christ follower is. They choose that instead of all these other belief systems, thoughts, even their own opinion, with confidence. I'm going to lock in. I'm hitching my wagon to the God of the Bible, who is Jesus Christ and I am believing that in all things. As a Christian, I can tell you, I I have literally staked my eternal soul on the hope that God is who he says he is. If if I'm supposed to be uh, another religion, I'm like dead meat, because I have chosen Christ. My soul is literally staked on that, okay? And this is what a follower of Christ does. Abraham went. He, he, he left and he hitched his wagon to God and God loves, he believed, God loves me, wants to bless me, but he made one decision and locked onto it, okay? And this is what a follower of Christ does. We go all in, believing the heart and the mind, the character of God. The answer is already yes, even once we discover the question and we put our confidence, we hitch our wagon to Christ Knowing full well, no, we're not dummies. Knowing full well we don't know the future. When you get married, you hitch your wagon to your spouse, you're not a dummy. You know full well you can't know the future, but you know who will be in that future, defining it and directing it with you. Okay? And it's a big deal. Now, one last thing here. I talked about this in week one, and it's important in this conversation as well. Ready? Having faith is not something that you choose to do. Having faith is something you are already doing. So having faith is not an add-on, okay? It's a way of life. Having faith is not a decision you make in the future, it's a decision that you're making right now. I use the example week one, you may be an atheist, you may say, I don't believe there's any God, I discount all the evidence, and I am I am choosing to believe that there's no God. And I would say, well, that's that's your decision, but you are enacting your faith in the exact same way that I am. You don't have any more evidence that there's not a God than I have evidence that there is one. You are making a faith decision, All I am doing that's different is I am choosing to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? So faith is how we live. Every friendship, relationship, corporate relationship you have is a relationship of faith. Faith is as normal for a human being as breathing. It's not that you'll do it one day. It's you're doing it now. What I'm asking you to consider is intentionally placing your faith somewhere. Not in another belief system, not in yourself, not in your culture or your people or your land, but placing your faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Hitching your wagon to him. And then no matter where he leads, we have no idea, but he will be in it with, it, with you and I will believe and hear from him as we go. All right? And that's where the Bible comes in. How do I know what God wants me to do? 99.9% of the time when God talks to you, he sounds like the Bible. So he's not gonna show up and say, you ought to read the book and he'll speak to you through that. Okay? And here at Grace, we'll even teach you how to, how to do that. Okay, So I'm, I'm finding God through his word, the scriptures, hitching my wagon to that. The answer's already Yes. God lead me, direct me. And that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And that's how it works. Faith is is just a locked on foundational piece uh, of the the construct of Christianity, okay? All right, there it is, right? The card's out there. You do with it whatever you want to do with it. I I told you at the beginning, our little deal is, I'm not even asking you to believe all this. I'm just asking you to have an open mind. So, thank you for even listening to this conversation. This is the point of view that we believe Scripture lays out, and and what I've chosen to lock onto, and, and other people have as well, and my hope is that you'll consider that. And weigh those things in your own life. Maybe think through that idea that I'm already making a faith decision. What is it? Uh, Is it proven? Is it historically accurate? Is it big enough? And is there a place to consider placing your faith in the God of the Bible as defined through scripture? Okay? All right. Would you think about that? Pray about that. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ living by faith, question you would ask yourself is, is the answer already yes? Before the questions, if, if if it's not, then you're not walking by faith, okay? So think that through a little bit, pray about it, and, uh, and then you move as God directs you to do that, okay? So I'll pray. The band will come out. You guys wrestle that stuff through a little bit and see what God has to say to you. Jesus, we love you. Help us with this big deal, God, foundational thing. And Lord, this is a conversation that we can get our heads around to a point, but really you have to take over. Uh, You have to draw us to yourself through your Holy Spirit. You have to plant this this faith within us. And so God, when we think about our choices, uh, help us to think through choosing you. And then God, if you would begin to do that spiritual work of helping us to know, follow, and understand you, we would be grateful. For every individual... Uh, in, here and online. God, if you would press into their hearts and minds individually and meet them wherever they're at and draw them closer and closer to you, we would, we would be so grateful for your help in that. Thank you, Jesus. Lead us now. In your name we pray. Amen.